Hey, good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. You are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpin' Radio. Right now, it's time for Mr. Jonathan Daly and Radio Free Bridgeport. Broadcasting from the community of the future. Live from the co-prosperity sphere, this is Radio Free Bridgeport. And now your host, Mr. John Daly. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Radio Free Bridgeport. This is John Daly on WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio as well. I don't know what the long form of Jamie is, but I'm going to start calling you by that. I think it's probably Jameson, but that's a whiskey, isn't it? I'm going to call you Jameson. Jameson? You know, I had, a, I had a high school friend that used to call me Jameson all that. We have a great show for you today. Got a packed show, in fact. We've got some... Uh, Politics. We've got some music for you and uh, some culture as well, Jamie. Right. So later on the show, we're going to be talking to producer-director David Teese, who is behind the Oscar-nominated movie The Peanut Butter Falcon with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Did I pronounce that correctly? Is it Shia? Got to tell you, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a good film. Uh, We're going to be calling him. He's in L.A., old buddy of mine. And then Thompson Springs are actually getting warmed up outside with Ari Shellis. They're wandering around and looking at this. Very, very magnetic Kirk and Spock exhibit that we still have on the wall. So, yeah, that's something to check it out if you have. Yeah, absolutely. Right now in the studio, uh, we're really thrilled to be joined by Rush Darwish. He is fairly local. You're in East Pilsen, of course. And, yeah, right? my business is actually in Pilsen, uh, just uh, about a mile away from here. So, uh, passing through this area today and seeing the station and seeing the band, um, I love it. It's awesome. almost like, man, how come I have not found this gem? Uh, the seven here. plus years I've been in Pilsen, so I hope this won't be my last time coming here. So Welcome thanks to the show. for having me. Yeah, yeah we absolutely. hope so. So, Rush, you are running um, in the third district. Uh, you're running to uh, go for the seat that is currently occupied by Mr. Dan Lipinski. Uh, Marie Newman, who's been on our show, uh, is also running for that seat. And I should point out, you know, we are doing a series of interviews with with all the candidates. Uh, we have reached out to Mr. Lipinski. Mr. Lipinski has so far not responded. What a shocker! So, what a yeah. shocker! He's got some time. We'll see. If, if he does, he will. <laughs> Will be on the show, but we've had Marie and uh, Rush. Now we've got you. So Rush, I think uh, very starters, and we asked Marie the same thing. Why do you want to do this? I mean, uh, politics um, can be very rewarding, but obviously this is a tough thing, and it's an expensive thing these days to mount a campaign like this. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that, and I'm not a politician. Uh, you know, I'm a small business owner. I do a lot of activism work in the southwest suburbs where I live. My business, as mentioned, is in uh, Pilsen. And uh, I think for me, when you just you've kind of been in the political realm, you've seen historically how let me just be blunt, guys. I mean, politicians uh, historically, including Dan Lipinski, are full of crap, you know, and I've seen what Donald Trump is doing as well, uh, who even adds on to it. He said he's going to drain the swamp. He is the swamp. So there just comes a point where you know I have this belief that if we're really going to see things get done, uh, I really believe everyday people need to run for office. It's that simple. Not people who have a ton of money, not people who have been in politics for 30 years because then you're getting the same old, same old. So this is why I'm taking this step. I'm angry. I'm angry as a parent. Uh, I'm concerned as a, a citizen. I'm seeing this ideology come up. We're seeing people you know, wear these hats, make America great again. I don't think they care about making America great again. I do believe they believe in making America white again. This is like the code that's being displayed. And, um, and, and this is why I'm inspired to run. I think there's an ideology out there, and it's spreading in our communities. It's, it's happening in Pilsen and Bridgeport, where there's now a separation. I mean, when Donald Trump says he's going to build a wall, you know, for someone like me, I'm the son of immigrant parents. I'm a Palestinian-American. Uh, this, is, this is frightening. So, yes, I'm inspired to take this step because it's time to turn that anger into hope. And to me, the hope is to make sure we run for office 
and uh, we make sure to advocate for everyone. And Dan Lipinski, he's done a horrible job in that. He knows that too. I mean, you talk to Latinos, you talk to Arab Americans, uh, he doesn't interact with the brown crowd. He just doesn't. And uh, this is, again, very concerning to me, and that's why I'm taking this step. We, we need somebody that's going to advocate for everyone, make sure that everyone's treated with equality, with love, respect. And um, I think these are words we don't use that much in politics. You mentioned, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us about uh, how you came. You said you're a small business owner. Tell us about that. Yeah, for 13 years, I was a broadcaster, actually, guys. Yeah, and when I had a, a full head of hair, 40 pounds lighter, I mean, I was on TV. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, Who were you working for? Well, I was at uh, ABC affiliate in Kearney, Nebraska, small market stuff. Then I went over uh, to Tyler, Texas, where I became a sports anchor, reporter. And uh, in 2006, my wife is like, uh, Rush, um, you know, you're making uh, you're making $11 an hour. Uh, it's time to start making some money. We have a kid now. And so uh, it was that moment where I was like, okay, let's, let's go back to Chicago. And I did start a small business. It's a photography video business. Uh, we do a little of everything to basically pay the bills from headshots to weddings to commercials, and um, that's what we do um, most of the time, and then I became a community activist as well. Uh, The southwest suburbs, the area I'm from, I live in Palos Hills, has uh, the largest Palestinian-American community in the country. They're disenfranchised. They're not engaged. So uh, I want to make sure we reach all voters, all the likely voters out there. That's why we're raising money. That's why we're campaigning. But at the same time, yes, for being in Pilsen, also a disenfranchised community of people who are not engaged in the process. Um, Southwest suburbs, not engaged in the voting process. I hope to change that. we got to get more people in the system, more minorities in the system. And that's, again, part of that change that we must see if we're going to see guys like Donald Trump never see office ever again. You had a recent mailer uh, where there was a photo of a pea pod, two peas in a pod. Some folks have commented on your on your creative and, and uh, in in a, in a positive way. Uh, tell us a little bit about who's who's putting those together. Yeah, it's it's a team effort. But <laughs> uh, Rudy Petitucci, he's our campaign manager. I love Rudy, man. He's a, he's a weird dude, but a, like a genius. He's one of those guys. You know, and, um, you know, we sit together and we basically kind of chart out how we want to put the message out there. But he's the one who's been leading the way as to um, and this is the reality of it. The toughest part of a campaign is you you have to make sure to distinguish yourself uh, from your opponents. And I'm the only one in the race that's taking zero money from special interest groups or PACs. And, you know, my belief from day one is what's really killing Washington, D.C. is too many politicians and too many candidates uh, are relied heavily on taking money from special interest groups and PACs. And that's where my opponents have that very important common thread. And yes, uh, that's how we're able to kind of like get our message out. It's got to be a little bit unique. It's got to be a little bit different. At the same time, it has to distinguish me from from everyone else. And simultaneously, you, you've been quite prolific at the mailbox. You, I think you have more mailers than, than anybody else in the race right now. We have to. I mean, the reality is this, where we are the grassroots candidate. And I'm also the new guy on the block, so um, it's critical for us to have uh, the best shot to win. We have to be out in front when it comes to our messaging. Uh, respectfully, you know, Marie ran in 2018. You know, she has a little bit of an name ID, not as as big as Dan Lipinski. You know, Lipinski and his dad have held the seat for 40 years. I mean, you want to talk about a a legacy? It's not a good legacy, in my opinion, but nonetheless. Uh, so he could afford to come in later in the game and, and start reacting with people because they know that last name. And the same goes for Newman. I can't afford that. For us to be successful, we got to come out swinging.
One of the things Jamie mentioned at the top of the show is that, you know, we invite everybody on the show. The one of, uh, you know, our perceived purposes in, in uh, low power FM radio licensed by the FCC, of course, um, is giving people equal and, and free airtime. And, and you, know, you talk about the cost of campaigns. Um, you know, you just have an exponential, particularly in congressional campaigns. Uh, cost. I think the average last cycle, which of course it's higher this cycle, was around twelve and a half million dollars. It's astronomical. Yeah, it depends on you know where the race is taking place. Um, again, I don't have the complete estimations of what uh, a Lipinski or a Newman. Uh, I will tell you that yeah, it's going to be millions of dollars. And uh, the reality is this: we're we're not that candidate. So for us, um, we have to do a lot more work on the ground. We have to knock on doors and. Um, we have to run. I mean, I wish the system wasn't built where a lot of that money you're talking about, once again, comes down to special interest groups and PACs. They're the ones who are pouring money into their opponents. So from day one, and I remember when I told uh, the little group of activists that I want to run for office, I said, all right, guys, before we even start, I want you to know I'm not taking any money from special interest groups or PACs because they're the ones that are messing everything up. I mean, we're seeing these unbelievably horrific shootings that are taking place in schools and churches. And then we wonder why things don't get done. Well, it's, it's those packs like NRA that are completely controlling the Washington, D.C. Democrats and Republicans. So there is no such thing as a good pack versus a bad pack. The reality is this. Um, any entity that's feeding millions of dollars into the candidates' pockets to run for office, uh, to me, is what's causing the big problem right now, why we're not getting things done. One of your major issues, too, and I want to come back to this in a second because obviously you are going up against two candidates that uh, are very well funded. And one candidate, you know, you're running from the left, obviously, left to center, against a candidate that many people would argue uh, is has become less of a Democrat as time has gone on by his voting record. Um, Newman, however, picked up a lot of major endorsements early. And, of course, she was just endorsed by the Sun-Times again this morning. Uh, I know Ayanna Presley has endorsed her. I believe Lori Lightfoot has endorsed her that's as well. That's right. I could be wrong in that. Yes, that's correct. I, I guess my question is, um, you and Newman do seem, seem to share a lot of the same aims. Where's the space for you as a candidate to expand your message and where's your space to kind of run into? Yeah, I think um, in any primary, first of all, when it's a Democratic primary, I'm certain you guys are, uh, you know, watching the presidential candidates right now. There's going to be a lot of areas where there's going to be some alikes. But for me, it's quite simple. One, it is definitely on the issue of health care. Um, you know, Marie Newman believes that the government should run the entire insurance process. Uh, my belief is we need to have a, a system where, yes, everyone does have access to Medicare for all, but for those who want it. Meaning uh, we have to make sure that people who like their insurance that their employer provides, uh, I think they should have the option to keep it. I think they have the right to keep their insurance and not have to be forced into a plan that at this point, we don't know exactly how that's going to look like. Uh, It's a critical issue to me, and it's definitely one of the main areas where I'm different than Marie Newman. And Dan Lipinski, I'm sorry, guy, he's like no plan Dan. When it comes to health care, he doesn't really have much to say about it. He voted against Obamacare, and now all of a sudden he's saying, hey, we got to strengthen Obamacare. He doesn't really have a a plan on that. And what we're learning is uh, most voters we talk to, yeah, they they say, no, we want to keep our insurance. Most of the voters we talk to say we do not, we want to have a choice of what insurance we want to keep. So this is what I believe. A lot of the voters believe that as well. And uh, that to me is important because like you mentioned, 
Uh, endorsements, yeah, I mean, Marie Newman, she's got endorsements. Dan Lipinski, he's got his endorsements. Uh, what I have is, is is speaking to the people and directly to the voters. That's my only option that I have uh, when it comes to winning this race. You mentioned gun violence. This week in particular, it's top of mind. We just had a, a robbery gone wrong and what resulted in an execution-style shooting of two people and murder of uh, two folks in, in Chinatown a couple days ago. Yeah, I mean— um, the gun issue is is deep. It really is, and you know it's something you could have an entire show on. Uh, the reality is this: we have, yeah, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, there's there's two ways we could tackle this. Uh, one, it's the socioeconomic situation we have uh, in neighborhoods that uh, lack job opportunities, uh, don't have access to education uh, opportunities, making sure they have equal pay with teachers, um, the resources to make sure that our children are on an even playing field. This is what I call the long term. And I think once we address uh, job inequality and once we address that schools need to be up to par with schools in the suburbs, that's when in the long term we're going to have a much better future. And I think we'll get to a point where uh, more people will be working and it just doesn't have to lead to this path for a lot of folks. Now, short term, we came out about five months ago and we identified that one of the main problems we have in the city right now is that too many people are buying guns illegally. There's a 60%, I believe, of crimes that are being committed in Chicago, the drive-by shootings, the gang shootings. The gun that's used is purchased illegally. So one of the things that we proposed was for those folks out there that are selling guns, um, they should go to, to life. They should go to jail for life because that's where the problem is, and uh, we've got too many people selling guns illegally. And I think once we put those guys behind bars for a long time, um, Hopefully, we can lessen the crimes that's happening. And I know another one of your, your major focuses has been on mental health. You know, we've had uh, Pat Thompson actually was on the other day talking about how we really need in this neighborhood to have more mental health facilities and, and ways to get what has been a very persistent homeless problem off the street. Can you talk a little about that? Because it does seem to me in my mind that the gun issue and the mental health issue uh, are two sides of a, of a bigger problem that we have. Yeah, I mean – Everything comes down to where do we get the funding, and this is where uh, the congressman has that uh, that power. I mean, right now the state of Illinois we rank 45th in the country with receiving federal aid. So we've got to start one acknowledging fully that there is a mental health crisis that's happening, that people out there need help. So what I would suggest is this: first, it begins in schools. You know, we have uh, counselors in many schools; they're not even available. Uh, So I think that needs to be the starting point. We need to have counselors in every school, and we have to make sure that at a very young age, very young age, we see the signs. And when we see those signs, we have to act. And that's not, by the way, this to me, I always think it's it's not something that you could maybe address when somebody's 40 or 50 years old. I think it it goes back to the childhood. So number one, we need to acknowledge when there's a problem. Number two, we need to have the resources to address it. And number three, and people don't talk about this because it doesn't have anything to do with government. You know, I'm a parent. I've got two kids. And for me, you have to know the signs. It starts with the parents. Make sure we pay attention to our kids. My kid is on his cell phone nonstop. And I'll tell you right now, there's times where I have to go right behind them. I want to see what they're doing. And I think that's another way to find out the signs and make sure that when you see, and it got, thank God it's not with my kid, but when you see issues, the parent must act first. That has to be the first step. And I think that's an area that not many people are talking about. When you uh, you mentioned your opponent a number of times, um, and you talked about big money in uh, elections, one of the things that you know foundationally um, 
they ran on originally was the the idea of bungalow bill and this idea that similarly um you know this was a person of the people um you don't see it that way anymore well and which opponent if you don't mind me asking are you are you referring to you're talking about um lipinski well look at the end of the day um lipinski to me it's it's very simple he does not believe that uh gay marriages should happen he does not believe uh, that you know he didn't he didn't vote for DACA he didn't vote uh, for immigration reform. So this is a guy here that has made it very clear that as a Democrat he does not fit the bill. He does not believe uh, that a woman should have a choice when it comes to uh, you know these personal issues that many women face when it comes to you know whether or not they want to have the baby. Now these are these are tough decisions I know, but the reality is this is Democrats. We have to take these positions and we have to take these stances, and, and he doesn't. So I don't think he fits the bill of a Democrat. I really don't. Uh, a lot of the policies he goes on are really more on the Republican side. Uh, how does he win? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's still mind-boggling to me. So Amy Klobuchar today in New Hampshire when she was running uh, mentioned that this she feels that this is a party of a big tent, that there is room for someone who is um, either – uh, pro-gun or pro-choice to still be a Democrat. Do you differ with that with that idea? You mean for somebody to be pro-life? You mean pro, to be Correct. pro-life? Correct. Yeah. I don't have an, a, a true issue if somebody, I mean, it's not a closed door. I don't believe that if somebody is a, a pro-life that they don't absolutely positively belong in the Democratic Party, but it's a package deal. I mean, if it's, if it's pro-life plus you don't believe in immigration reform, um, you know, then all of a sudden if you don't believe that uh, everyone should have a choice of, of who they want to marry. If you don't believe a woman has a choice, now it's a package deal. It's not a one-issue deal. And for Dan Lipinski, no, he he's very much more on the Republican side of things, and that's a problem. And uh, I think uh, the reality is this. The one thing he has going for him is that, uh, one, his dad held the office for many years. His dad had him in the seat. Um, he took the seat for now going on 15 years. That's, that's you know, 40 years of Lipinski. So he's been lucky. Lipinski's a lucky guy. And I think his luck is ready to run out because the reality is this. His wards are changing. Um, the landscape is changing. I know they're going to do redistricting pretty soon. And I think his time is coming up any way we look at it. I know there's an urgency to move him out now, and I hope I'm the one who moves him. You know, But the reality is that any way you look at it, I think Lipinski's time is up. If not now, it's going to be soon. It's interesting that you, you say that because, um, of course, you know, Lipinski did also join a lawsuit against Obamacare, which is a signature Democratic achievement of, of the last uh, you know, decade. But one of the, the major problems that we have in this ward, uh, and, and we asked Maria about it as well, was the, the problem of good paying jobs. You know, we, we do not have, uh, you know, Bridgeport's a place that doesn't have the population density right now. Uh, if you take a look down Halstead Street, you'll see a lot of empty storefronts. There is a disconnect between the goods and services that people in the neighborhood need and rely on and the jobs that are available for a lot of young people around here. That, that's going to be a major issue regardless of who gets in to office uh, because the economy, as we know, has been picking up speed, but it hasn't translated into either wage growth or benefits. 
and it hasn't translated really into anything other than uh, a great deal of excitement about unions, which I'm you know in favor of personally. But that that's not the same thing as putting good paying jobs and getting people work. What would you do in Congress to move people forward and and try to get better paying jobs here in Chicago? Now we need to one acknowledge, as you just said, you, you nailed it on the head that uh, there's jobs that people have. But these jobs are not paying what we call real living wages. They're struggling. So the reality is this. You know, my wife, Aziza, she works for a junior college, works in the continuing education department. And uh, she deals strictly with people who want, need to be trained for jobs to get certification. And these are jobs in the medical field, in the mechanic, auto industry field that pay $20 and up. The jobs are out there. The problem is people need to be trained to get those jobs. So one of the things that I want to do is I want to start a job center and call it the Economic Development Center of Illinois' 3rd District, or EDC3. Check it out on the website. Here comes the plug, rushforcongress.com, rush with the number 4, congress.com. Essentially, it's a job hub where people in the district can come to. Uh, We will evaluate their strengths, evaluate the areas that they want to excel in, and we're going to put them on that path to make sure that uh, they get trained in that area, whether it's technology Um, whether it's uh, working with the unions. We're going to build a strong economic coalition and put people on the path to jobs that pay $20 and up. And again, uh, the idea of this economic center is that we only will place people or put people into job arenas that pay $20 and up. Now, the union is definitely a good start. I've been fortunate to meet with a lot of unions, and they say the same thing. You know, The jobs are there, but people have to go through the training program. And I think a lot of people are not aware of that. And I think we need a congressman that has the ability to connect with these folks, these families. And we have data now that can tell us who's making money and who isn't. Identify the people who are not making the right kind of money, and let's put them on the path of training to make sure that they are. The jobs are out there. We just need to make the connection. Let me just, just to play devil's advocate for a minute, but we used to have vocational tech in our own high schools. Wouldn't it be simpler to put that Votech training back into Absolutely. high schools? Absolutely. You need to do both. Okay. I mean, it shouldn't even be high school. I'm going to take it a step further. Got to start in middle school. Let's start it in, in seventh, eighth grade. Start the initial training. Because a lot of these jobs that we're talking about, especially in the industrial labor type jobs, uh, you got to get up at 4 a.m. for those gigs. And the reality is if, if you don't train these people young, you know, by the time they're 17, 18, a lot of times they're – that's it. You kind of lost that window to train them. So when when students get out of uh, high school, they should be certified and ready to go if they decide they don't want to go to college. I, it's possible. But the truth is this. We have to start them uh, at a young age, the kids, and make sure that uh, if they decide they don't want to go to college, that there's an opportunity for them uh, in the work field and they can be ready to go. What are some of the things that you've seen in traveling the 3rd District uh, in, in your time in doing this? that you're hopeful about? Most people that I speak to are very simple, and I think that's a good thing. Meaning, uh, people, I know we're saying people are angry. You know, when we went and do signatures and we go to the, when we knock on doors, uh, there's still a lot of hope. I think what people are wanting, you know, from their elected officials is somebody they can trust, somebody that's going to be transparent, somebody that's going to tell them the truth. And I think to me that's the one thing I noticed that most people want. Of course, you have some people that are very policy-driven, but most people comes down to that, and I think that's very positive from the standpoint that uh, people like myself are running, and all over the country, uh, new politicians are entering the field, people who don't have a, a history of politics, 
but they're coming in the field and they want to make a difference. And I, and I see that I think that's incredible. And I think a lot of people are starting to appreciate that. What happens if uh, come March you show well, but you don't win? What is the next step for you? I mean, you've got a taste of politics now. Obviously, as we've talked about, you've obviously done a substantial investment in this as well because this isn't cheap. You know, no. uh, what what is the next step if you lose? Stay involved. I mean, one of the things that um, you know, I, I sit on a board called Anvo Pack, and one of the, the objectives of this group is to one endorse candidates, and number two, it's or number one is to make sure that we engage people to vote. And I think for sure, the one thing for sure that I will stay involved in is to continue to work in underserved communities uh, on registering folks to vote. And I think one of the things that we've realized for this uh, campaign is that in order to achieve this, it's going to cost money. It's We've kind of like relied on some volunteers to help, to help out with this, and it, it's not enough. We have to figure out ways uh, to generate revenue and make it paid positions. Uh, not just in, in the southwest suburbs, but in different parts of uh, the 3rd District, and get more people engaged in the process. Too many people have given up on government. They just think it's all of the, you know, we're talking about one of the things we've seen. Remember when I said there's hope? But there's a lot of people who've checked out. That's a problem. Too many people are like, ah, I, I don't care about any of this. It's, it's all BS. It all doesn't matter. They're all full of this. They're all corrupt. I mean, this is a, another thing you hear, and we got to change that, and we got to first take that number one step, get people to vote. Is that a political action committee that you sit on the board of? It is, but we don't give money to candidates. It's called AnvoPack. Uh, AnvoPack.org is the website. We endorse candidates. We're an issues pack, and um, we don't mess with money. Got so, it. Got it, got it. Yeah, you can't say you can't take money from special interest groups and PACs and then take money. We have no problem with PACs. I'll take endorsements from PACs. We just can't take the money because I think that's when things go wrong. Got it. Because the minute you give a politician money, $100,000, $200,000, now you can't help but wonder, do you really believe in the issue or do you believe in what they're giving you? That's substantial. Yeah, that's fair enough. You know, it's interesting. We're, we're running out of time. We try to give every candidate a half an hour and rush. That, first of all, thank you so much. Oh, thank again, you for, guys. For, for you being guys with are us awesome. today. Yeah. Um, one last question. By the way, did you do Texas high school football? I did. Okay. I covered uh, Adrian Peterson, covered gotcha. him from his sophomore year. That was probably, and people that say, what's the coolest thing you uh, you did in Texas was covering Adrian Peterson because I got to see him grow up from um, you know being a sophomore right. to junior, senior, onto Oklahoma, and just to see a Hall of Famer, see a men amongst boys was really special. So you see a thousand-yard uh, rusher in high school? Oh, I mean, oh, he, he was insane. He, yeah. Every yeah. time he touched the ball, I'm not even yeah. making this up. Every yeah. time he touched the ball, it was a minimum 10-yard gain. Wow. So yeah. you were – I used to work for Fox Sports. I was in broadcasting back in L.A., and I believe I heard your voice. So we did this interview. I was like, I had you on Fox Sports West doing the Texas high school football game of it's, the week. It's possible because I, I was uh, pretty involved with the – that was my main – one of yeah. my main jobs was the high school game of the week. And as you know, Texas is big, yeah. and it was – probably at least once every three weeks that one of the games I'd be covering was considered like a national game of the yeah. week. So I was one of the few maniacs that actually watched a lot of Texas high school football with yeah. no you, connection. You to are Texas definitely football. a maniac here in Chicago, <laughs> uh, which by the way, um, the first three years of my, the broadcasting career was covering the, the high school game of the week. So, oh, so we would do football, basketball with, um, you know, Comcast. Well now, as you guys know, in cable it changes every yeah. like two years. Back in the day, it was called Time Warner, yep. and then Media One, then AT&T, so on and so forth. But I would cover the game of the week for that. So that's how I was able to transition from news into sports because that was 
always kind of my natural, you know, specialty, if you will. You talked a lot about uh, issues that you're concerned with. You talked about the district itself um, and some of the things that you're hopeful for. Is there anything you want to leave listeners with uh, knowing about about uh, your race? Yeah, I would say this is that um, I come from the middle class, and I think the truth is if, if we really want to see change, we need a new voice, and we need people from the middle class to represent the middle class. Uh, you know, I'm a small business owner. I'm a parent. I coach my kids' team. And, uh, again, this is coming from the heart uh, that I really want to see change. I'm concerned. Uh, there's a Donald Trump ideology that's spreading. We have a congressman in my district, uh, Dan Lipinski, in 2018 voted with Donald Trump and Republican issues on 40, 40% of the time. That's alarming. So, um, you know, I think if, if you want somebody from the middle class that's going to reflect the people of this district, uh, I think there's no question that uh, they really need to take a close look at our campaign, visit our website, and I hope I could, I could earn everyone's support. Yeah, that website, by the way, once again, we've been speaking with Rush Darwish. She is the candidate, uh, one of the three candidates running for the third district. It is Rush, R-U-S-H, the number four, congress.com. Rush, again, thanks so much for spending time Thank with you. us today. We thanks, really, guys. really appreciate it. Good luck. Appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from you soon. We're going to take a little quick commercial break. We'll be back with Dave Teese. And I believe we've got a special uh, I believe we've got a special delivery coming from Brewery Zaragoza as well. Oh, boy. So if you want to stick around for some Go Tacos, guys, let me tell you. Welcome back to WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpen Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport, and we have a special delivery. We do have a special delivery. Andy from Anfang is here. Andy, welcome back. Thanks, guys. I'm so happy to see you. It's it's so interesting to have you on this side of the glass, because I think last time you were doing what Thompson Springs is doing right now. Yeah, now you can hear the warm-up. They sound great. Is that what they're called, Thompson Springs? Yeah, they're good. Good to know. I was going to ask. They sound awesome. Yeah, it was fun that side, but it's cool to be over here with you guys. Well, we're happy you're back, and last time we learned... uh, uh, that there was a taco connection here. Yeah, tell us about this. This is amazing. Okay. Yeah, last time we talked, um, I brought up, I had a, my family has a restaurant nearby in Archer Heights, which is like cousins to Bridgeport. And uh, yeah, they sell goat tacos there. It has um, been 12 years in running. And you guys haven't tried them yet, right? I, this I is the, Chicago's goat taco period. This is, this I, mean, I don't, th- I don't think there's any like uh, for us at least. Yeah, any competition. You guys are. You guys are <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I yeah. gotta tell you a quick story. So hit it. The we there was an event. Soho did an event with uh, your tacos. Yes. And uh, I was in line uh, as everyone was waiting uh, for the tacos, and the guy in front of me. Uh, was doing his best to be muy authentico, oh, and yeah. and ordered saboya, and the the guy who was serving was like, "It wants onions." <laughs> <laughs> so good. So that must have been okay. So that that must have been ago. yeah. Because I know they did a, an event at Soho last year. Um, my brother Jonathan's the chef, so he's the one that does all the events everywhere. He's actually in Nola right now. Oh, what's he doing down there? Cooking goat. Oh, there you wow. go. Showing him, showing him what's up. Nice. So yeah. t- tell people who don't know what the hell we're talking. First of all, the restaurant Zaragoza that you guys have. Yep. But what are goat tacos for people that that don't know? Okay, so um, basically what it is is it's braised goat. It's actually the most popular meat in the world. Yeah. Um, I think the U.S. just kind of has this little stigma against it. I'm not sure why. It's four-legged, you know. Everybody. Cloven eats. hooves, maybe. I don't. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, there's definitely an underlying uh, weirdness there. But it's. I mean, it's very popular around the world. Um, if, it, if you treat it right, it's not gamey. Um, it's actually a lot leaner than like other red meats. Um, 
but my dad actually brought it back. My parents are, I'm first generation here. My parents are both from Mexico. So my dad grew up with this and he, like he worked corporate his whole life. Like he's also a musician. So he wanted to just do something different and he opened this place up 12 years ago and just this one recipe and it's been surviving. So it's braised goat. Um, They steam it. So all the fat that is even there, because they're like young goats, drips down. They don't touch that fat. They put mole, you know what mole is, Mm -hmm. on it. And then when they put it in the oven, that mole just kind of like seeps into and makes a crust on the meat. And it's just like this really pretty, like brown red. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And then they put the tomato broth on top, the consomme, and with handmade tortillas, boom. There you go. Yeah. It's a go taco. Super simple. And you brought us some. Thank you for bringing us go taco. I brought you the hookup. Yeah, you got. Yeah. You are the hookup man. We this appreciate it. Oh, Thank you for, and you came over from work. Thank you for coming over from work anytime. just to do this. Yeah, I can't believe I, I just thought of you guys the other day because we were talking about how much fun we had here, and then I'm like, you guys, I have not brought them their tacos that I had promised them. I'm like, I'm the worst. It was almost a year ago. <laughs> How's but the band? We're great. We're. Uh, I mean, we miss you guys. Yeah. Uh, you guys, <laughs> so you guys are gonna come back on. Yeah. Whenever yeah. we had so much fun with you guys. Um, right now we're taking a break from. We played. Sh- I don't even know how many dozens of show that the last year shows. Um, so we're taking a break right now to record. Cool. Where are you doing that at? Um, we're actually going to do a couple demos okay. um, with my friend who's a producer. Uh, he goes by Tuffy Campbell. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's he's a bedroom producer, but he's he knows his stuff. Um, so he is going to be working with us on demos. And then um, recording, I'm not sure. We're kind of bouncing around ideas right now. Do you guys know of any, like... Oh, the guy I had to ask would be Mr. Ari Shellis. Yeah, Ari, Ari Duh, certainly knows. Yeah. Ari. Mr. Mr. Ari Shellis. You could also do it here, probably. Really? <laughs> probably. You'll make an EP. You'll make an EP. Why not? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, probably will. Dude, I'll keep it in mind because yeah. we've worked with him twice yeah. already. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We'll yeah, work yeah. for Go Tacos. He will work for Go Tacos. Yeah. He was very excited Don't tell about me the tacos. That. <laughs> he he sent me a text. He's like, this is sick. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I walked in and I just gestured. I was like, he's like, hey. I'm like, yeah. I brought you food. He's like, you brought us food. You know he doesn't get out much. Doesn't get to eat much. We, oh, you know, we, we, I got uh, him. We I got really you keep guys. him, you know, by the by the mixing board. Yeah, 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 it. for sure. I mean, do you guys even get a chance to eat when you guys are here? How long yeah. are you guys here? Yeah, that's yeah. good. We're here for a couple hours. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, are you guys going to be? Um, yeah, we what really got to work on these working conditions, Jamie. I know these working conditions <laughs> are brutal. You know, <laughs> so you guys, talking, we're talking about shout this, out. Bring sakes. them food. They're whittling away right now. Bring them food. I don't think either John or I can be called wasting away. Maybe Ari. Maybe Ari, 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 you should get some of that goat taco. I got you. I, I got you guys. Well, th- yeah, thanks so much. We, we should get you back maybe in March or April, though, whenever you guys are around. We would love to. You know? we're, we're pretty free in um, April. I mean, March and April, we're fixing our schedules to do the recordings. But whenever you guys want, we'll, we'll break a leg. Yeah, Thank you. We're really excited. Cool. Yeah. Annie from Anfag Beer is, I can never say that word, Beeria, is that right? I couldn't either. It's so. Beeria. If you roll your R's, just say it like a D. So B B D A D A. Okay. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, a little trick. A little trick. Here. Okay. So <laughs> Zaragoza and Archer Heights stopping by. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, dude. And good uh, to see you. Anfang, Thank is it still anfang.bandcamp.whatever? Uh, like anfangmusic.com. Anfang music on like everything. So oh, that's right. Okay. On social media. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'm horrible with social media. So, but that's okay. Yeah. Neither am I, but I should be better at it. That's okay. We'll work together. I got a we'll challenge we got to do later, Jamie. Oh, that's true. We do. Okay. All right. We're going to play a tune. We're going to talk to Dave Thies. Andy, thanks so much for stopping by. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay. You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 1055 FM. This is Lumpen Radio. You're listening to Radio Free Bridgeport. And we have a very exciting guest on the phone. On the phone from LA, David Thies. How you doing, buddy? 
I'm doing great. About yourself? I'm doing well. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today, man. No, of course. I'm excited. So many, you, most people may not recognize the name here, but uh, David was one of the – what's the best way to put it? I mean, you really got this entire thing going and off the ground. And we're talking about what became the much acclaimed and lauded movie, The Peanut Butter Falcon. You did the short film that led to the longer film. Can, can you take people through how this, how this worked? Because this really was a passion project for you for a number of years. Yeah, it's, it's it's. I've been on the project for about five years now. <clears throat> I've come up through Hollywood as a camera operator, director of photography, and a director, and uh, produced a lot of our own stuff. I worked on a commercial uh, for Visa for the Winter Olympics back in like 2010 with Michael Schwartz, who is now one of the writer uh, directors of the movie, and he was a commercial editor at the time. And he called me up one day and said, "Hey, I've got this script." And I was like, oh, I didn't even know you are a screenwriter. And he's like, well, I am now. So he sent me this uh, script. Um, I read it. And a lot of times um, you start reading scripts and 10 or 15 pages in, you either know if it grabs you or it doesn't. Um, a lot of scripts don't. Um, and this one, I just kept going page after page after page, just wanting to know what happened. So read the script, loved the script. And uh, Michael was basically just like, what do we do? We want you to produce it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I said a lot of times in TV, we will shoot a sizzle reel. I go, I think we should shoot a fake movie trailer because you guys have never directed a long-form feature before, and this will help us go to sell it. So I have a small rental company called TVCom, uh, Film and TV here in L.A., and I loaded up a Sprinter with a Sony F55, Zeiss Super Speed, a Ronin uh, gimbal, and we drove it from here to the Outer Banks, where the film actually takes place. We ended up shooting at Savannah. And we shot every day for probably seven to nine days. I can't remember how long we were out there. But I had no crew. I had one assistant that came out with me. Um, we shot in the morning light, and we shot in the afternoon light. And we edited this fake movie trailer. We pulled scenes out that we thought we would see in the trailer if we shot the film. Mike, being an editor, edited it together. We colored it and put music that they had been thinking of kind of in the Coen Brothers, big O Brother um, vibe. And this proof of concept film, I called it a fake movie trailer, and it got turned into being this uh, proof of concept film, has gone around Hollywood and ended up uh, connecting us with um, Albert and uh, Ron, who had produced Little Miss Sunshine, Cold Mountain, um, and then we partnered with those guys on it. And then we, uh, another guy named Lai Starkey came on board and then we connected with Armory Films who in the end financed the film. And, uh, we just put a great team together and, uh, Shia who ended up being, uh, the lead opposite of that Dot Sagan, uh, plays Tyler. Uh, when I finally did meet him and he found out that I had shot and, uh, done the proof of concept. He just said, that's, that's why I was on the film. I watched this film, and I watched Zach act in it. And funny enough, Tyler, the director, ended up acting in the proof of concept opposite of Zach. Um, and if people don't know, the script was actually written for Zach Gottsag, and it's about a 22-year-old kid with Down syndrome that runs away from a group home in the Outer Banks because he wants to become a professional wrestler. And he ends up linking up with a another character named Tyler, who in our movie is played by Shia LaBeouf. 
who just uh, is running for his own reasons, and these guys go on like a Mark Twain-esque type uh, journey. So I've been on for a long time. David, that the, you talk about this proof of concept, uh, the fake trailer. That seems to be a pretty great idea. I mean, where did you come up with that, or had you done it before? Well, I've, I've, I've worked in reality TV. Um, I directed TV shows like Fantasy Factory on MTV and stuff. And, and when these production companies would go into pitch TV shows, they used to take in what was called a one sheet that just had a log line and said, here's what the show is, give us money or don't. And then they started realizing that people were having a hard time visualizing. So we would go shoot a sizzle reel. We'd go say, hey, this is what the show is about, you know, a clip show about, you know, all these crazy, crazy things out there. So I just took that knowledge from there and said, hey, I have the gear and we have the know-how and you guys have a great script and we have the actor. Let's go just shoot a movie trailer to go show people. And it's funny because we shot so many scenes out of the movie that when we started showing the trailer back here, people thought we just needed finishing funds, like money to, to, to get the music, to do the editing and stuff. And we're like, no, 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 we haven't shot the film. <laughs> you know, what do we just look at? And we're like, that's just something we did, you know, on our own that we all funded. Um, so it's kind of become, it's been funny to run into people uh, in L.A. here and they, they've seen the proof of concept and it's kind of gotten its own, its own life to help people in independent film try to launch stuff, to try to help people um, say, hey, these guys are worth it, let's, let's fund their film. And we should point out that not only was this this film, you know, very well reviewed and it's up for a, a lot of awards. And, and David, sincere congratulations on that. Uh, really, Absolutely. it's incredible. Thank you. But, but you guys shot this for what is an astonishingly small amount of money in the business. Uh, yeah. You yeah. also, and then you turn that into the highest grossing independent film of the year. So I mean, yeah. this really is an incredible uh, micro budget to you know smash hit. I, I guess one of the questions I had though is how did how did Shia come on board because i mean obviously you were not working with you know big crazy hollywood money no uh, how, did he just come on for scale or what what was the deal there yeah yeah so so everyone um really loved the project and basically came at it like a family everyone came on for essentially scale to uh go you know what we love this project we love zach because i started to say the script was written for zach and um, when these guys had done a, a uh, done some work at a place called Zeno Mountain Farms, they met Zach, mm-hmm. and they asked Zach, "Hey, what do you want to do in life?" Because he was doing a short film, and he goes, "I want to be a movie star." And they basically said, "Well, you know that that's great. There aren't a whole lot of opportunities to be movie stars." And Zach just looked at him without missing a beat and said, "Well, you guys write and you guys direct, and I'll star in it, and we'll just make it happen." So it became this whole thing where. It was about making a movie, yes, but it was really about making this movie for Zach. Um, and it all culminates to Sunday. You know, we were in talks for uh, a movie's gotten amazing reviews, like you're saying, and it's been a blessing. And all these people came together and shooting the film in Savannah, Georgia, two summers ago, two and a half years ago, was like going to the best summer camp. No one wanted it to end. Um, every day you were getting up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. to go out and, and shoot, and you just wanted the day to continue. Um, and so to see Zach and Shia present at the Oscars, that's just icing on the cake. I mean, that's come full circle right there to uh, to go, you know, we did it for Zach. 
and making history. That that really is an incredible story. Given you know, it's not uh, again dissimilar to the the story itself of the film. It is. It is. Um, I ended up uh, scoring a ticket to Elton John's party and watching the Oscars there. So it was really cool to be with seven hundred people that I don't know that became fast friends when they cheered when uh, Shy and Zach you know came on. And does Zach? How does Zach, does Zach embrace the fact that now he's a movie star? You know what? It's so funny. It's it's. I've never seen Zach nervous. You know, mm-hmm. I saw people saying, "Oh, he must have been nervous on the Oscar." He doesn't get nervous. He's just Zach. Um, and we were at the Palm Springs uh, Film Festival a couple of weeks ago, and Zach won an award. And I mean, there were some heavy hitters. We were at a party with Joaquin Phoenix and all these people, and I was like, "Hey, Zach, there's a uh, Joaquin just played the Joker." We should go say hi and get a photo. And he goes, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> just walks up and tugs on his shirt. And, you know, these people turn around and see their face light up <coughs> when they see Zach. And uh, we got some great photos with Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix and, you know, all these all these people, Jamie Foxx and J-Lo. And it was just really cool to watch people react to, to Zach. And it, to him, it's just everyday life. He doesn't. He, I don't think he realizes what we've accomplished, um, and he's just in, he's just enjoying it as he should. When you look at the the film itself, uh, you talked about the joy of of actually filming it. You certainly captured a beautiful part of America, and and uh, I mean, it doesn't seem that there was any lack of resources given how just pretty the 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 film is. When we when we shot the proof of concept, like I said, we went out there and we didn't have a crew. So when we sat down to say, okay, well, what is the look of the film? I brought a set of what's called Zeiss Super Speeds, which are 40-year-old lenses, which give you kind of a period piece. We don't say what time of what year it is that we filmed this, but we wanted it to have a late 70s, 80s, 90s vibe. We didn't want new cars. We kind of wanted to stand on its own. Like if you were to flip the channel and see it, you wouldn't realize this film was 2019. You would be like, oh, when did they shoot this? Um, So... You know, going out and shooting that, we decided, okay, landscape is going to be a character. We knew that because in your, like you're saying, there's beautiful areas. Um, and we did everything basically natural light. And in the proof of concept, I had backlit them. I didn't have grip and lighting. I didn't have anything. So I just had to kind of make do with what we were doing. So uh, Nigel Block, who came on to lens the movie in the end, when he met me and realized I had shot the proof of concept, we hit it off fast. Um, and he had done true detective, like he's very well accomplished, uh, director of photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to know him and he was like, Oh man, he's like, this is awesome that you're here. He goes, I want to essentially keep the look and just improve upon what we've got now that we've got a crew. And I was like, yeah. So I was lucky enough to, I shot all the underwater footage. I shot the, the stuff in the river crossing. That's me in the water with the camera with shy and Zach. Oh, wow. Um, and I was also the drone pilot. Um, so talking about low budget and having to make the most, the most of, uh, make that money go because I am, uh, in the 600 and everything, I was able to pick up slack so we didn't have to bring specialty crew in to do that stuff. Well, you t- those aerial shots certainly gave a huge perspective of, of that area. You know, one of the things that I noticed in the, in the film talking about the actual place being a, a character, they, they reference Twain. And until that moment, I hadn't really thought about it in that way. Um, and it made me think about a whole bunch of other things, you know, like Easy Rider and things that I've seen and yeah. uh, those kind of adventures. 
It's it's so true. And uh, you know, coming out to L.A. from Cincinnati, not too far from Chicago, um, I did, I didn't know what I was going to be doing out here. I'm not trained in TV and, and camera. I just bought a camera and figured it out. It was almost a fake it till you make it uh, mentality. Um, just a lot of hard work and and just kind of learning what what the stuff is out there. Um, when Michael and I, the director, were talking about this film and I read the script, I had always wanted to make a film like Stand By Me, a film that grabbed me and that just told a story and it wasn't special effects, it wasn't all this. And I read the script and I said to Mike, I said, for me, this is my Stand By Me. And I always say now that it's like, look, if Hollywood were to come tomorrow and say you're never doing another project again, I can say I won. And so. you know, speaking of that, you know, because I mean, you still do continue to do TV work, right? You're still working in. Uh, yeah. You're st- are you still doing Fantasy Factory? No, Fantasy Factory ended in 2016. They did seven seasons. So, yeah, I know it been um, on for a long time. Yeah, I've done. Uh, what have I done recently? I had an hour special on that I directed um, that was on Fox a week and a half ago, the Harry and Meghan special. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I've gotten in with uh, Harvey Levin, yep. who's mm-hmm. from TMG, and he's got a production company. And my company has gone in and helped produce uh, a lot of their shows that they do that aren't TMZ. Gotcha. Um, so... We did a sh- two seasons of a show called Objectified. It's been a lot of like interview stuff. Right. Um, so we've got some other pilots that we just shot that are looks like they're getting greenlit and going. So it's always kind of something new um, yeah. with you know with what's out there. So I'm still doing TV and I'm reading scripts right now. I've written a script. Um, it's almost daunting having gone through because I kind of. Um, the lack of knowledge of what it takes to get to a film to here was in a benefit yeah. <laughs> of doing that first one where it was like pushing a boulder uphill all the way through this past weekend. <laughs> Every time, you know, we, we didn't get into Sundance film festival. We didn't get into Toronto film festival. We got into South by Southwest and they gave us a nice spot to open up. They said, you have three screenings. The, the, we basically just sold out the first screening. The second screening in Austin, they were turning people away. The third screening, they turned away like 150, 200 people. So we got what was called the buzz screening, which added a fourth screening. They turned away like 400. I mean, just so many people they turned away. And then we won the audience award. Yeah. And then we came back from there thinking, oh, we've got it made. Everyone's going to be bound, uh, knocking down our doors. You know, it was not an easy road all the way through. And to have end up, you know, being one of the top grossing, you know, independent platform movies, um, it was kind of like a slow burn. You know, they do that limited release, and then it's kind of like word of mouth. And they always, they have a formula that says, okay, on the second weekend, you're dropping 30%. On the fourth weekend, you're dropping another 30%. The fifth weekend, sixth weekend, seventh weekend, you're basically kind of falling out when you're a movie our size. And I'm not going to remember the numbers correctly, but say we did 3.7 million the first weekend. The second weekend, we came out in national release, not the, uh, we were the number one film release in our four theaters per theater. So we always kind of laughed that we beat these huge, um, 
films that came out that first weekend because we were in four theaters um, or maybe seven theaters and we just sold the screens out. You know, we were really lucky. Um, I can't remember what Fast and Furious came out in August, but we were above them in the opening weekend release. Of course, they were in uh, 4,700 theaters and I think we were in four. Um, But the second weekend came along and we were still in like 3.4 million and then, you know, jump forward months like four and a half months later, we were still in theaters, you know, maybe in the smaller theaters, but we had just an amazing run in theaters. And that was that word of mouth. That was people on Facebook saying, you need to go see this Instagram um, and really getting it out there, which the cool thing was, it tells you that people still want to see story driven uh, movies. Yeah. It was certainly a refreshing film. And I think you'll even see more viewership uh, in streaming and all the iterations uh, that'll come now. Yeah. Yeah, um, right now it's on iTunes, Redbox, you know, Amazon Prime, and we had a call a couple of weeks ago, and it's performing above that. It's doing really well on the streaming, and I know that uh, I keep getting texts from people that are flying flying on airplanes, and uh, it's it's on all the airplanes now. So it's finding an audience. And I mean, the cool thing on the Oscars, um, I saw a post that Billie Eilish and her brother were being interviewed on E or something like that. And they ask, who are you excited to see? And they were like, Oh, Shia LaBeouf. And they ask her brother, who are you excited to be? He's like, Shia LaBeouf. We just watched at Christmas. The peanut butter Falcon is the best movie we've seen. Taron Egerton, you know, came and came to a screening, uh, that we were doing, uh, during the Oscar, uh, lead up and posted a copy of our poster art. It said it was one of the best films we've seen all year. It's like, it's been really amazing to think back five years and to see where we are now. It's incredible. Well, I, dude, you're a super busy guy. Really want to thank you so much for taking time out today to talk thank to us about this. No, thank you, can you just, before we leave, can you just give us a hint of, of maybe what your next project is? I mean, we know about the TV stuff you're doing, but what are you looking to do in your next <laughs> film? Uh, you know, I want to stay in the um, story-driven uh, style films. Um, I've written a script with uh, my cousin, uh, who's out here a lot, Ryan uh, Van Alsall, and another guy named Guy Stevenson, who Guy has written a bunch of the Mad TVs and in in, uh, back in the day. Um, and we've written kind of a comedy action uh, film that we're on our third rewrite right now that I'm really excited about. So hopefully in the next six to eight months, we'll We'll have something going on there and start casting. That's amazing. We've been speaking with David yeah. Tease, cameraman, uh, the guy who is really one of the driving forces behind the movie The Peanut Butter Falcon. David, thanks so much again for taking the time out to talk to us today. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, so right after the break, we're going to have Thompson Springs. We're going to play a tune. And a reminder that you are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpen Radio. Hey, welcome back to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpin' Radio. You are listening to Radio Free Bridgeport, and right now it's time for a John Daly session with Thompson Springs, live in Studio A.
never leave the fame Their memories They just keep moving on The highways, the byways Crack past the day
crash was in the winter Colder than before Buffalo so deeper Than a man on all four Thompson Springs, and this is a new song of ours called Deadly Stare. Okay. 
close, but still so far. Touching your arm, trying to find your heart. A scary star, interrupted by years apart. Intermission of love.
All right, well, we're going to play one more song for you, and it's called Over the Hill. We're Thompson Springs, and thank you to Lumpin for having us today. Over the hill, you came running, didn't see you coming, I closed my eyes. You move left, and I move right, looked you in the eyes, said I don't want to
was Thompson Springs and WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. You are listening to Lumpen Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport, and we will be right back. And we'll have those guys in the studio in just one second after these messages from the folks that make it all possible. Welcome back to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpen Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport. We were just listening live to thompson springs we've got matt david jeff and jake in the studio and welcome guys hello thank you for having hello. us thanks for being here you guys that was sounded super great impressive, produced dude. by one ari shellist as always yeah super <laughs> impressive guys really loved it tell us a little bit about um how these you guys even got together how did this project get started well um this is matt speaking here um i was going to school up in madison wisconsin and i met jake I put up a flyer to find people to play with, which I feel like nobody does that anymore. But it worked, and Jake replied, and we had an, a band for a while called The Sharrows, and we played for about three or four years, and we kind of uh, took off after that and started this group. Um, so for a while we were in Madison, and then we moved down here fairly recently and met Jeff and David just from playing shows with other bands. And that's kind of how the four of us all got together and it's been the same lineup for a bit now. Mm -hmm. How did you, why did you come down to Chicago? Um, well, I grew up in the suburbs here and personally for me, Madison was just feeling a little small. Wasn't really connecting with a ton of bands. Mm -hmm. Um, in the style of music that we do, it yeah. wasn't there wasn't a lot of culture around it or community around it. There's a cool community in Madison for other stuff, I think, but um, within this genre, there wasn't just a lot of bands playing this type of stuff. I felt so. How would you describe the the genre by yourself? I mean, oh man, I don't want to do that. No, it's never it's <laughs> never a good look. Um, I I just don't know. There's, yeah, I, we love blues and we love rock and folk stuff. And I always tell people think like Tom Petty or the Allman Brothers if they were in the indie rock like generation, you know? Yeah, sure. Hmm. Take that. All right. I was thinking kind of psychedelic thinking? cold wave, but kind cold of Americana. Wave. What is cold wave? Well, cold, you're not cold wave, but cold, cold wave is like uh, Gary Newman, the Two Bay Army and stuff like that. That gotcha. very kind of cool. brittle, but because you guys have a lot of reverb and kind of that dense sure, sound. Sure. I was kind of thinking, you know, early, early Two Bay Army nice. and stuff like that. Cool. So, which I'm personally a fan of. Whatever, but, whatever people like, that's what we are. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cool. Your ska band, of course, then to John. Oh, well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Appreciate you. Got the synth horns, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sharp oy. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you got an album out, right, or coming out? Um, we have an, a full album that we finally completed, and it's going to come out in June. Okay. What's it called? And uh, it's called Undertones. Okay. Not named after the band? I didn't know there was a band. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Yeah, The Undertones, one of Ireland's greatest bands. Fergal Sharkey was their lead singer, and uh, the songs were written by— Of course not. It's what? not named after that. No. What? Who's I don't the even know about it's it. It's not named after that, <laughs> well, but the under I can't wait to check them out. The Undertones, My Perfect Cousin, was a hit song when I was a kid in like the mid-'70s, and it's a great song. No one has a perfect cousin. That's true. They don't. But I'm trying to think. It's the guy who produced uh, Elvis Costello's records was the guitarist in the band, if oh, I remember okay. right. Um, why— why can I not? Nick Lowe. Oh, yeah. I believe it was oh, Nick Lowe and the so Undertones. Was his project? I believe it was, yeah. Okay. Sure. So, but he, they, were, cool. they were a legendary band in, in, in like the mid 70s power pop band. Cool. The yeah. Undertones. One of the very first power pop bands. So, so it's where, a good name. Where'd you record the album? 
Um, we recorded it in Nashville. Yeah. We went down to a studio. Um, we have uh, connections with Pat Sansone, who's a f um, friends through another producer that we worked with, um, another engineer that we worked with. Um, and he lives down in Nashville. Okay. And we had a friend hook us up with another friend who has a studio there and kind of like a home recording setup. Cool. Um, but so it was nice to get out of town and just make it like a very focused trip yeah. for like a week. Yeah, oh, we spent right. about a week down there and just got down to business. What's yeah. that? Got down to business. Got, got down, down to business. business. Yeah. yeah. How long did you polish up the songs before you went to record them? Um, not uh, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we well, kind of went in a dry. A few of them are like, I, I don't know, it's a few of them we'd been playing for a while, mm -hmm. I think. So how much of the stuff know. we heard today is off the new album? Uh, three of the songs. Okay. The last three. Three of the five. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. cool. And, the, and first, then the first two were from the first EP? The, the first one we just released uh, as a single Okay. a few months ago. Yeah, it's not on the record and it's not on the previous EP. It's just it's, its, just, own, it's, it's all very thing. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you try to make things intentionally confusing for your listeners? Uh, no. <laughs> it's just, we just try to keep it interesting for us, yeah. I think. Why did you guys name yourself after a place in Utah? Um... Well, I w had uh, I went on a backpacking trip through that area, and we had just stumbled upon Thompson Springs, which is a town in Utah off the highway. It's a deserted ghost town with one gas station and these very funky, eccentric buildings that are just falling apart, surrounded by like pristine um, rock mm -hmm. formations and. Uh, Rock. Red rock formations. So it was just a place that stuck with me, and I had written the name down. and And uh, when I wanted to start this group, my name is Matt Smith, mm -hmm. and that's not really going anywhere in terms of names. <laughs> well, I mean, he Matt Smith did play Doctor Who, so I yeah, will, I'll argue that's with true. everyone. Yeah, that's, yeah. True. that's the he went somewhere. That's but. The story. <laughs> but imagine him in a band. You know, but, uh, you know, he was actually a, pr a Premier League footballer who played for Leeds before he became an actor. Oh, nice. So you know, he was a double threat. Yeah. So well, that's our backup is playing for Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go and play for Leeds. Why were you there? Interdimensional you travel. Yeah. Uh, when I was driving across the country, I had a job in L.A. Uh, my wife and I took um, a very ill-advised, uh, very small stick shift car um, from here to from Chicago to Los Angeles in the middle of the summer. Oh, which man. yeah, it was a with no air conditioning. Uh, my wife is probably cringing as she's hearing this tale. It was it was bad. It was like 120 in Kansas. Anyway, we went through Thompson Springs uh, because I'm yeah. a big fan of ghost towns. It's right off the highway. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. even a sign for it. Yes, there is. Yeah, there is a sign. <laughs> Say go to see Thompson Springs. Yeah. And we stopped at like a couple ghost towns because I I've always had like a I don't know why I'm just really into ghost towns. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And Thompson Springs was a mining town, as I recall. Yep. And then they moved the railroad. A few miles south. Yeah, it had a railroad that went through it, so it was bu it was booming. Yeah. Then they moved the railroad, and then it was it was done. Didn't they like mine something really weird there too? It was like borax or bauxite or <laughs> oh, one yeah. of those B minerals, something no, something odd. Boron. 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 Let's go who, who mines boron? I don't even know. Yeah, it's, I don't know what you do with boron. Um, what have you guys been doing here in Chicago? You guys obviously met from playing with a bunch of other bands, but I mean, a lot of the bands that we have come in um, talk about kind of their place in the Chicago music scene and whether they're working with other people and how community-oriented the scene seems to feel right now. Have you guys found that to be the case? 
Yeah, so like me and Jake just kind of moved here in October, like fully moved here. And Jeff and David have been here a good amount of years, so they've been kind of like, you know, fostering us into the friend groups and and uh, it's been exciting for us and they seem to know that. Yeah, I feel like you can't own a musical instrument in Chicago without, like everyone who plays music meets each other within mm -hmm. a few years. Mm -hmm. Like there's only like one or two degrees of separation between anyone who plays music. And in fact, you've actually alumni of the show. I am an alumni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, both of you guys are. I think yeah. we were better this time, though. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were good. Go to the tape. Yeah, I mean, we can, <laughs> you can just listen to the tape and yeah, find sorry. out. You've got it. So. Try but, not to. Play by play. Uh, what do you guys got coming up? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, other than the new album coming out in June, you guys got any shows coming up? Yeah, we're going to play at the Whistler March 22nd with Burr Oak. Oh, they're great. Our friends, Burr Oak. Yeah, yeah they've been on here. Yep. Yep, and, she's great. Uh, we're going to do a little mini tour down to Atlanta. Cool. A few shows. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the album is coming out in June. Jake and I play with another group, so we're going to Europe for five weeks okay. with that group, which, you know. Which part of Europe? Are you going to, like, Greece or Latvia? Uh, or? Germany. Cool. Mostly, mostly like, central. Italy. Okay. Like, mainland Sweden. Europe. And okay. then And then Scandinavia, yeah. But after we get back, we'll be back to the grindstone here of trying back to, to yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know people stuff. went to Finland still to play music. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. I didn't here know Here we are. We're not going to Finland, actually. We're, we're going to Sweden. Sweden. Oh, right? Sweden. Okay, yeah. so Stockholm. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. There's a great Finland band called Tumo and Marcus. Mm-hmm. Good, guy. Good guys. Good guys. <laughs> there's a lot of Swedish death metal. Yeah, you know? Oh, yeah. so much. So much. Entombed, Dysphere. There's there's some good stuff there, man. Yeah. Very cool. Um what can you tell us a little bit real quickly about the set you guys played today too before we wrap this up um the set we played today well a couple old songs a few new ones the thing we're kind of focusing on lately is like playing together and towards each other as a unit rather than like the classic rock just straight out into an audience or venue and kind of dialing mm -hmm. the volume in and and working on our interplay together. Kind of working on the dynamics I, and stuff. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. And we'd been talking a little bit too about how like when you practice and you're rehearsing in your space, the way you are physically is a little bit different than the way that you perform live. Yeah. Right. So trying to maybe make live seem a little more like when we're just together making music, you know. That's, I did notice you guys facing each other. And I, I did notice um, when you guys uh, turn the volume down, I'll, I'll say um, – really kind of uh, great great music and sound thank you yeah, yeah, yeah sometimes just blasting away doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really do it yeah it doesn't really do anything well, it's the only hard. thing i know how to do as a drummer <laughs> <laughs> it's hard actually like it's hard to make it sound good too if like instruments are so loud that you're creating so much sound pressure that you yeah. can't get it yeah. it's actually really I, i've always thought that like people that are playing super loud are trying to cover up for something yeah, usually yeah, like if idea, you're yeah. kind of in balance with each other and you've got a good sense of dynamics it yeah. makes yeah. for a better thing and it sounded it sounded great i was thinking so. that on the softer songs while we were playing i actually had a thought where i'm way more stressed out when we play the softer songs <laughs> yeah. yeah because you're more exposed yeah, more of an yeah. exposure to each individual part right yeah which has the opportunity to make it even sound even cooler too when we're tighter and everything, right yeah but, you know, yeah. but yeah i mean i can understand that you kind mm -hmm. of feel like you're playing with less of a 
not under you. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. also, I think one thing you mentioned before we played too is like playing with the mentality of playing loud, but yeah. still playing quiet. You know, because that's when the good tones come out is when you're when you're controlling your volume. But when you when you think you're playing loud or when you're with your when you're playing loud, you're playing with energy and with intention. Right. And oftentimes, when people dial things back, you lose some of that intention. You lose some of the direction. You know. Did you have that uh, intention also when you were recording the, this album? Is that is that part of the? Uh, the new that was album? a loud album. I mean, uh, some of the songs were in the studio. I don't know how you felt. So there's some nice acoustic songs too, but I felt like some of them were being played loud. But yeah, definitely the intention was know. there. I don't. Do you remember, remember recording th- at all? <laughs> 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 I don't remember thinking about those specific things. Yeah. He woke up in the side of the road and was like, "Oh, hey, we were just back from Nashville." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, you're the drummer in the band, so I mean, that, sure. that's actually a pretty hard thing to do is to, to hit hard but still get that kind of even tone. Did, how, did you have to treat your drums or, or you just kind of um, moderate what you're doing? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm definitely it's a work in progress. Yeah. Still trying to figure it out. Um, because yeah, that is. I mean, as you mentioned too, that is the hard thing as a drummer is to is to get to find where the good sounds are. You know, because if you play a drum in, in different dynamics, you get a different tone. Right, and and you don't want a fifty piece kit. I, do, I don't want a fifty <laughs> yeah. piece kit. Yeah. And he's not allowed. The keyboard at the same and, time, and so. none of these guys want a fifty piece kit either. Yeah, yeah. 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 he's got the keyboard going, which is like a pretty. I haven't seen many people doing that. Yeah. No, neither have I. Uh, I did notice that. that yeah. That's that's something. A lot of those, all those synth sounds are from the keyboard, and so. they're not, they're not samples. He's playing them. Yeah, you're not triggering them. Not they're, triggering. Yeah, no. they're keyed. Yeah, no triggers. Yes. Yeah. So I already got to set that up. So I'm not setting everything. Anything gotcha. Else no extra drums. <laughs> no. Well, did you go down to a smaller? I didn't really look over your kit. Really, did you sure. go down to a smaller bass Pretty drum? Pretty economical. Or? I have a twenty-inch bass drum. We're yeah. talking shop here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a modest setup. It's just you know your typical two tom, two cymbal. Yeah. Kit. Um, no, we've but, had some people come in with like even th- the smaller slimline mm-hmm. kits. I think Slingerland made one. It was like sure. an eighteen, but it's like a half depth. Yeah, yeah. Bass drum, and it it sounds really great on recordings. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's obviously it. underpowered in. That's the problem, I think with drums a lot is you can get good sounds on recordings, but then when you're trying to play live, um, yeah. and often, you know, at the level we're at, sometimes if you're playing in venues that aren't miking things, uh, but close miking things, right. then you have to really think about how your drums sound live and not, yeah. you know, right. bank on the miking. But Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like, the, unless you have really good tight monitoring and um, good mic placement technique, you're yeah. not going to, you actually won't be even able to kind of hear what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, as a, I'm a drummer as well, so I've, oh, I've had two that drummers. Both are. Okay, yeah. we can keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> we can make some drummer jokes, too, if yeah. you want. Uh, you guys can, can do that. Um, no, but that was awesome, guys. Thanks so much for doing that for us today. Yeah. Um, you, so you, what is your website? Do you guys have a website? What's going on? <laughs> Nobody told me any. I know you're on Bandcamp. It's Thompson yeah. Springs on, on Bandcamp, but do you guys have anything else? Yeah, for... we, we have all, like, the normal spots you'd find a band okay <laughs> i don't know do people go to websites yeah on their phones yeah sure we have instagram. a website we've got instagram and facebook and mm. on spotify and apple and yeah. tinder 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 thompson springs <laughs> yeah. swipe left on, on whatever tinder. yeah most places you'll, you'll find us okay well i'll take a look on your grinder profile so we'll <laughs> see where we're going with that that's where matt and i met yeah, there you go there you it's go. Good. Just kidding. So, uh, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. We're for glad you came us. down. Yeah, this is awesome, yes. man. Thank you thanks so much for coming today. This Cheers. is great. Um, next week, it's Cloud Tone, right? Cloud Tone's in the studio. Yes, You're sir. in Springfield, so we're going to call reporting you. Reporting live. Uh, and then, yeah, what are you reporting on? Like, I don't know. We'll you ever see. been to Dumb Records? No. I'll check it out.
Dumb Records? Dumb yeah. Records in Springfield, Illinois. Okay. Check it out. Huh? There you, you go. show there. Good yeah. guys. Good guys? Okay. Did well. Maybe, maybe you can do a live report from Maybe Bell that's Marcus. where I'll call from. Yes. Maybe you can do that. Um, hey, but for uh, John, I'm Jamie. For Thanks, Springs everybody. Guys, thank thanks, you so much. Guys. Thank you. Uh, and we'll see you uh, next week. Right thank here you, Ari. Radio Free. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Ari.